You are listening to MSP 1337, a podcast dedicated to helping MSPs and their clients navigate cybersecurity. Security maturity is a journey, but that doesn't mean you have to travel alone. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I want to personally thank you for joining us today. Before we jump into the show, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com today to find out more. Now on with the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week yet again by the infamous Joshua Smith of Veronis. Thanks for joining me, Josh. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on again. Again. Hey, you know, when you have a good thing going, you got to keep it going. So uh, it's been half a dozen or so episodes in, and we have yet to let anyone know what MSP 1337 stands for. And I thought that while last week we talked about um, the shiny object syndrome, I thought this week we'd start by talking about what it means to be, you know, what what the 1337 obviously stands for. I think MSPs can pretty well uh, articulate the acronym MSP. And then kind of the segue of part two, if you will, of shiny object syndrome that I think is what 1337 uh, in some ways represents. So Josh, you and I go back um, a long time uh, and in a space that is defined by not very many years. So we've been involved with managed services and security and compliance since kind of the beginning as it pertains to MSPs. Uh, Walk me back. I think you can probably do this best and say, uh, why MSP 1337? Sure. Take it little, take take us back, right? Take us back. Um, I think it kind of started off more like as an inside joke, right? To kind of talk about, you know, you know, 1337, elite speak for elite, right? So elite, uh, you know, when we want to try to be the best we can be, you know, you want to be elite. So I, I think it really came about kind of joking around, kicking around and then started to formalize a little bit more with our, we start to name our kind of chat rooms, uh, elite and then, you know, MSP, elite and that, those kind of things. But it really was kind of the, the core driver behind it was wanting to, you know, be the best that we could be, to, to find the best, you know, SOPs, to find the best policies, the, the, to define things the best we can and offer the best service and, and be in just be the best, right? And that's, that's kind of where I think we came across the idea of just what LEAP means to us and, and then kind of tongue in cheek, uh, you know, calling it 1337. Well, and it's, it's really an internal kind of buzzword. I mean, no matter how you explain this to a client, they're like, what? Uh, you know, the 212 uh, concept is another one, right? To go, you know, one degree above that and, and you know, beyond the boiling point, right? Um, I just want to read this because uh, I didn't know this, but LEAT is, or 1337 is both a noun and an adjective. So, um skilled of computer programming or hacking. So like the rerouting of phone calls was considered that type of a hack. So that's how far back in time it goes. Um, It's what's that? Freaking. Freaking. Yeah, absolutely. And then it also has kind of gained some traction in the gaming space where if you're considered an elite gamer, 
uh, then that would be that 1337. So all of those things are relatively irrelevant to this conversation, <laughs> but it is kind of interesting to know that 1337 does have a history. It's not something that I just pulled out of thin air. It's not like my address or anything like that. Um, so, you know, to, to continue on this path though, 1337 and being elite or, or having the goal of being the best that you can be mm -hmm. kind of transitions to what was last week, which was shiny object syndrome. And the reason behind what I considered my, my syndrome itself, which was if it was shiny, I was interested, right. um, but there was validity to it, right? We were always looking for ways to be more efficient, be more productive. And then obviously as, as we spent more and more time in the security and compliance space, what are the products, services, and tools that we can use to improve in that arena? So in sort of the follow-up to last week, I wanted to continue the conversation and really look at what should, a, what should an MSP be considering as they look at products and services uh, to improve both an internal security posture as well as you know client facing? Because at the end of the day, MSPs, MSSPs, whoever it is, you know, the end of the day, our goals are going to be defined by, can I sell this? And, and maybe that's not the right language to use, but if I'm not able to bill more for the services delivered, then it's putting me at a, you know, crossroads of, am I going to be okay with making less money to be more secure? Or can I find a way to be more secure and make more money? Yeah. Well, I think the impetus of these tools and things we're looking at isn't just to go out and spend more money. I mean, that might've been yours, I don't know. But <laughs> the, the the goal was to become better, right? And so it, it all was driven by that kind of that elite uh, mentality of, of wanting the best for your customers because the better your customers look, the better you look, right? The more you can leverage your customers as a good uh, reference or, or lead source, right? To grow your customer base, to grow the company, to become bigger, to become better. And that that's, was the real goal of you know improving internal and external operations. It wasn't just to just go out and buy things and and hang out and get drinks bought for you. Well, that didn't hurt. That didn't wait, hurt. wait, wait, wait. That, that didn't hurt. Are you defining what we should be doing or what Chris did? Yes, uh, it's half and half. Okay, it's, it's all right, all right. If the swag pack was big enough, it was already a, a done deal. Done deal, right? Yeah. So, so I think about that and I go, okay, so. I guess metrics, if you will, to think about how do I go about deciding that this product or service or tool, whatever it might be, whether it costs money or not, you know, from a write a check, uh, where, you know, where, where does the savings come from, right? So I'm either looking to save time. Yeah. I'm looking to improve the visibility of, of what it is that I'm protecting you from. Or, or number three, I'm creating some level of uh, assurance or even insurance uh, that would allow me to feel more comfortable, sleep better at night as it pertains to putting this in place. I think all three of those kind of go back to saving time, saving money, right? You're either, you're either, you know, it's kind of the bottom line, right? Are you driving the revenue or are you trying to eliminate cost? Right. You're trying, to, and, trying to simplify it, right? Is, is, is this something that brings value and therefore I can, you know, charge for it? Sure. Or is it something that, you know, saves something, time, effort, energy, money, 
which all kind hours of goes of back to time, right? Yeah, hours so, of sleep. So yeah. we we get real. We can easily go into the space of FTE, right? And so this is this is what I've been since we had the episode. The one thing that keeps coming into my head is mm-hmm. if I evaluate a vendor's product, there's a resource on my end that's going to be involved. And obviously, depending on the vendor, there's some resources on the vendor side too. There's a reason why vendors don't lower their price every client they add, right? Because that would sort of, you know, at some point they're going, well, we keep hiring people to sell more. We keep hiring people to support more. Um, we should be lowering our costs to our clients. No. And the same, I think is true in, in our role. If you're an MSP is that I'm, I'm going to buy this product service or implement some sort of process procedure that is requiring some level of FTE, whether it's fraction or, or full, right? So I would go with my number one evaluation piece, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is does this increase or decrease on my side FTE? Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because, because if it doesn't, which isn't necessarily the end of the world, but if it doesn't, why am I looking at this tool? Product, service, whatever you want to call it. Why am I doing it? Right. I guess it also depends on, is it something that in a space already exists or is it something entirely new? Right. So we have in the MSP Ignite program, we've got all of these MSPs that are participating in a security maturity process that's called Secure Outcomes. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, we're starting with CIS top 20. You start with control one asset inventory. You know, do you have it managed or are you managing your assets? Then it goes into, you know, control three, which gets into uh, three or four, it gets into your vulnerability and, and all these things that are sort of sequential in this process. But it's like all along the way, you find where there are holes, right? You find where there are gaps in your ability to, to increase that maturity model. And so, um, so along those lines, it's like, to your point, so you've got criteria number one, and these aren't necessarily in sequential order for how you evaluate, but you've got FTE, what's the time uh, time impact, right? And then number two is, is it filling a void that is in desperate need of being filled? Or am I being told by the market that I need to fill something that I don't necessarily have had prior knowledge existed? I mean, that seems to be like a big number two right now is I don't know how many vendor demos I've been on in the last month where I'm like, whoa, now that I'm thinking about this, now that I'm seeing this product, I see a void that it fills that hasn't been addressed. But then that gets into that third, I think it's the third criteria. And it's like, do I have something already in my stack that does part of this, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't do all of it, or it does all of those things, but doesn't necessarily do it well. I think we talked about that last time too. It's, yep. you know, I'd rather have something rolled out that does 80% of the job than something that does 100% of the job. And I, I, I never Use get around 10% of it. 100%, yeah. right? Yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. So it's, it's like a broken fix. It's, you know, bubble gum and, and, uh, and tape. But I also think that the, another aspect to look at is there's things you can buy, right? And resell, right? Like tools or whatnot. But I also think as security gets more, more and more specialized, we have, uh, you know, the opportunity to outsource some of th- these things or kind of resell uh, another vendor and kind of just be the, be the one that, that manages the relationship, right? So, you know, you're not going to go out and hire uh, a red team to go out and, and pen test your customers if they ask for it for PCI compliance or whatever. But what you could do is 
is make a, a good relationship with a with a, a company that that is a red team or does pen testing, and either you know figure out some sort of like referral or just straight up resell their service, uh, you know, and so you don't have to pick up those those new employees that FTEs you're talking about. You can instead just be the manager of the relationship, and obviously you're vetting these this this vendor. You're making sure that they that they you know can can do what they say they do. Sure, but I, I think that really uh, increases. Your, your toolkit without really increasing more, more of a burden on, on you. Well, Charles talked about that last, last week, right? He, you know, one of the things that came up was, you know, how many vendors is he ingesting information from? And it was like roughly 15 vendors of those 13 are pretty well getting ingested into his PSA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously those other two, you know, had some serious, uh, you know, always looking to see if you can either find a replacement or, or live with it because it doesn't get ingested into that sort of single dashboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, you know, I think that's a good number four is how much of the burden of this can be offloaded to the vendor. And that vendor could be an MSSP. It could be another mm-hmm. MSP partner. Um, there's probably a list pretty much a mile long, right, Josh, that could be ways that you're offloading this to someone else, the burden. And I think we screwed up uh and entangled i think we didn't take uh, enough advantage of vendors and the services they have like you know being at my previous you know vendor being my current vendor i mean you know they've got a, a sizable professional services team that you can package as part of a you know as part of a purchase order and i think that it it's folly to not take advantage of that and i think before i think it was an insecurity that well if you know we have to know you know, how to install this product and sign up. We have to sure. know 100% of this product. And I think that's a fallacy. I think you need to know maybe how to operate the product, right? Because, you know, how often do you install something that you're going to keep around for, you know, years and years and years? Once, right? So I think you leveraging professional services to do installs, even to do, you know, really leveraging their support staff as well. Well, do you, do you remember back in the day when we carried around the little ISO CD uh, sort of binder that had the, you know, reset admin password, the, I mean, or, or even the full blown, this is the windows seven or windows 10 image. And we, we talked about this the other day, one of the controls in CIS talks about ensuring that you have the golden image, right? The, this is the master, uh, you know, install for for whatever for the client and they're like the reality is well why would i do that because every 30 days it's no longer the current image regardless of what i'm what i'm building and i can go to microsoft's website and download with the latest updates already preloaded on a flash drive you know what's the point microsoft's done the lifting to create my golden image for me i mean, I mean to your point the balancing act here is what does the vendor have responsibility for that we need to take advantage of rather than, you know, incurring responsibility unnecessarily. And then the second part of that is knowing what is the requirements for me as the MSP to be successful with this product. Because to be able to say that uh, maybe it is, I need to be able to install, configure, get the basic template up. Maybe it's not, but when we investigate what product services we're going to put into play. We need to know that before we really, you know, drive it home. And and Charles said this too, right? I I said this about Charles. If your product as a vendor requires too much lift as a part of the MSP, 
he's going to let you know. And rightly so, because if, if, if someone's not going to be vocal uh, to a, to a vendor, how are they going to know that they need to adjust to take on uh, and support more MSPs that are interested in those products? Yeah. I don't think you should have to be an expert on, on every solution. You should just be really knowledgeable, right? Because they're, they're the ones bringing the expertise and, and you're leveraging them for that, you know, for that access to their experts. So for, for installs, for professional services, for support, I think we should have been leaning a lot more uh, on our vendors, not only just in the installation, but also in the sales process. Oh, right. Uh, hands down sales process. Let's, let's go back in time to having them, the, do, the, having them do the demos because oh, now, for that sure. been, now that I'm <laughs> with vendors, you know, we're doing all, I mean, as an SE, I do demos. That's what I do. And it just blows my mind that we were the ones as the MSP trying to do the demos, because again, we felt that if we didn't seem like the expert on everything, that that would make us somehow look weak. If we try to bring in a vendor that would look like us passing the buck, but it, it's not, you just, you just have to understand that that's how the big boys do it. And to do otherwise, it's really inefficient. Well, before, before 365 and some of the other stuff that's out there, uh, we were really concerned about white labeling stuff, right? Like it was like, I wanted to make sure that there was no way that you could go talk to somebody else and, you know, kind of got in the way of, of, like you said, having the vendor do the demo and who better to do the demo than the vendor. And, and maybe this is one of those things where you don't necessarily bring the vendor in for a demo unless you're having a hard time getting your client to wrap their heads around why it's so important. And if you have a vendor that can't help you there, like they're not able to help get that messaging across, that might be one of those things where you need to rewind a little bit and revisit. Are you trying to put the right vendor? Are you trying to match the right vendor up with, with the client? Because sometimes, you know, one product or you might have two different vendors that sell similar products, but one is a better fit for that client than the other. I, I still think that the MSP, the MSSP, should be the one doing the vendor evals. They should sure. know their clients well enough. They should know the vendors well enough that who would be the better fit. But when it comes down to, you know, if the customer isn't biting or if they're kind of humming and hawing over the budget, then you kind of need to raise the value. And I think the best way to raise the value is to bring in a professional sales team from that vendor so that they can better articulate. Because that's all they do day in and day out. You know, us, you know, being the reseller, we've got, you know, again, I go back to the 80, 20, you know, we've got like 80% of the knowledge, right. And, but maybe that's not enough to relay the value. You bring in a sales team, they've got 100% of the knowledge. They they can, they can talk with the customer on your behalf with you there, obviously, and, and pull out the, the kind of the pain points. And then they can immediately pivot to the functionality that solves those things, right? Because that is their job is to assist you in, in making those sales and finding the additional value to cross-sell, upsell, you know, renew all those kind of things. Well, so I guess- I just don't want to pull back and say, I just really want to drive forward that it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. To sure. Not do your own demos, right? Like that's like why, you know, you're not going to build your own house. I mean, some people do, but, you know, bring in the professionals, the construction, the general contractors, all those people have them do what they do because at the end of the day, it's going to be yours. The relationship is yours. They're not going to take it from you unless they're Dell, but, um, and, and it's yours and there's nothing what? to feel about. I, I can attest to the do it yourself model. Um, I decided that I was going to be an electrician because that seemed like a logical thing to do. Um, I had a buddy of mine who's a certified electrician. He's like, I'll show you how to do it. Um, I went all out. Like, I'm not going to have a place on the wall that requires me to get an extension cord. I'm making sure there's an outlet on that wall. 
So I put, I think it was 35 outlets in my basement, which um, the live and learn here outside of being nicknamed Sparky for a while, um, I did find that an electrician can charge upwards of $200 just to put one uh, outlet in your house. So um, yeah, I saved some money. Um, I definitely shocked uh, the living daylights out of myself on more than one occasion. Um, and you know, when you're, you're using those pliers and it, and you forgot to turn it off and then your hand makes that it won't open because it's locked into that position. Uh, yeah. So, uh, my live and learn is if I got to fix an outlet, maybe, but if I'm going to do, uh, any sort of remodel, I I'm calling somebody who has better tools than I do and can get it done in a much more, uh, efficient use of their time. Um, I, I have too much respect for electricity. I think if I'm just going to replace like a faceplate, you know, nothing to do with power whatsoever, but you know, the screwdriver is going to be in the realm of the outlet. I just throw the circuit breaker for the entire house. I just, I, mean, I, I do it and I do it in the dark. Cause I'm just so neurotic. Cause my stepdad once told me a story about him and his dad were out there working in the shop and he's really into electronics. And um, all of a sudden, like his dad grabbed something and then just kind of started doing the classic this. And he had to go, and it was like decent power too. So he had to grab like a local, like a nearby two by four and just whacked them across the chest. So to, to kind of break that connection. So that little story right there always made me very respectful of, uh, of electricity. I think that is a very true, um, well, I guess we both have had our uh, time being called Sparky uh, <laughs> or, or knowing somebody besides yeah, yeah, you no. and I that are Sparky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just to recap, I think we're 100% on the same page. I want to be clear. I, I wasn't necessarily implying that you should have a vendor do a demo because you're not being successful positioning the product. It was more along the lines of as the MSP that's looking at the needs of a client, sometimes it's important to have two different vendors be involved in the conversation because I think about like the time I've spent in the, in sort of the Sonic wall, Fortigate, Clyptic, some of these vendors that cater to different, um, sort of niche spaces, right? They're, they're not trying to be everything to everybody, even though they may be able to scale well, there's just some of those little features. In fact, I worked with a client not so long ago that um, they transitioned off Meraki to, um, and I think they're now moving over to Fortigate. Um, but their reason for leaving one vendor to go to another, had an MSP truly been involved in that one, which there wasn't, un unfortunately, uh, they made the decision because uh, Meraki was acquired by Cisco. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen to Meraki. We need to leave. Um, I suppose there's some validity to that, but that that's a that's a big, bold statement to go, hey, the product we've been using for five years is going to go away tomorrow. Let's find a different vendor, right? Yeah. But that also goes back to, they weren't ready in that transition process. So it took them two years. They, they actually implemented a, a stepping stone uh, vendor to get them to where they really wanted to go, which is unfortunate because had they been comfortable with say two vendor stacks, there wouldn't have been this nightmare for them of like, how do I get something in there right now? Even though that's not going to be our final uh, implementation. I mean, remember when you and I were working with uh, that one client on the West Coast, that part of their framework for compliance required that there be two different vendors, you know, in the room. Yeah. Yeah. The two, two, two separate firewalls. Two separate firewalls from two different vendors, you know, like it's, it gets complicated and obviously that's not going to be a fit for everybody. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that, that I think there is, and then, you know, this whole overlap thing, I think that we're going to see 
um, as we acquire products and services, I may acquire a product from somebody that I know and is already in my stack and it does that, but I may go, but maybe that feature is going to get turned off or maybe I'm going to use the feature on both of them as long as they're not colliding with each other because one may give me uh, a false negative, which, you know, heaven forbid that that's happening. Um, but if you've got two products that are giving you two different answers, that doesn't make one product better than the other. It's just a different approach, right? You, you were there when you were with a security vendor or a firewall vendor. Um, you know, you didn't go out there and say, our product catches everything. Um, because if you look on the back end, how many of those vendors that are out there are actually talking to each other when it comes to security? No one wants to be dealing with the zero day that their product doesn't catch. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, there's there's huge uh, back channel communications with threat intelligence between all those security vendors. So if we were to um, look at the shiny object syndrome through the new lens in you know part two, what's the one thing that you would part on our listeners? I think I th I go back to kind of the holistic approach. Take take the step back, look at the needs and if there's something missing then you go looking for the solution but at the same time be open to you know having conversations with with new vendors new solutions because you know we're we're in a, an industry where everything hasn't been invented right and as yeah right as the market shifts as you know we've just, i mean over the last several months the big shift to work from home right we you know before msps might have been working with companies that were only on-prem and now maybe all the customers have moved to work from home. So now they're scrambling to come up with, okay, you know, what are some like, you know, SSO, uh, you know, VPN, you know, work from home cloud solutions. Maybe they, maybe they weren't even looking at the cloud because they want to be on-prem and now they kind of have to more embrace the cloud. So I think just always being aware, again, not being the expert, right. it's about just knowing enough to then know where to look for the answers, right? Like, you know, just as a, as a programmer, no one knows every single function in a programming language. Right. You know exactly where the documentation is, right? It's, it's right. about knowing where to get the answers. And same as being an SE, you know, even with our product, even being with the companies for several years, you know, we're not going to know every single answer, everything, but we know who to ask and know where to look. And that's the important part. And that's the resource I feel that customers are looking to MSPs and MSSPs for is that you might not know the answer, but you know the person that knows the answer. You're, you're kind of the conduit to the solution. I'm going to say that that's the premise of shiny object syndrome is that I am looking for a solution to a problem that I don't necessarily know that I have, um, which means I also don't have the answer for someone who's asking me to solve the problem, right? And I actually have had this conversation several times. Don't be afraid to say, I don't have the answer. I'm not an expert on that specific thing, but give me some time to get back to you. Because if you're in that hot seat, you're, you're in that selling space and the, the client's obviously ready to, to say, pull the trigger on what it is that you're selling, but then has that question. Don't put yourself in a position to say, I'll make sure that it has that. Be able to say, let's, let's back up and make sure that I get you the answers that you need. Because if we're going to be in a long-term relationship, I definitely don't want to be the one that sold you the product that isn't the right fit. So trust well, kind of goes back to trust, right? You know, don't make promises you can't keep be forthright, be upfront because it's a, it's a tricky business run. There's it's a lot of unknowns, especially, you know, work with a doctor, work with a lawyer, work with whatever, you know, they're not technologists. So they put a lot of faith in you that 
uh, you know, like I put a lot of faith in someone that's managing my finances, right? I don't know all these things, but I have faith in them that they're going to do right by me, right? That kind of right. fiduciary trust. And they kind of, in, in the end customers kind of have the same in us as technologists that we're going to do right by them. So being honest, saying, I don't know, but I'll find out, you know, those kind of things. I, you know, I'm not the expert in this, but I'm going to bring in the vendor that is, and we're going to sit down all, you know, all three of us together. We're going to walk through it and see if this is the best fit for you. It's like if I pull a syndrome out of shiny object syndrome, the reality is we want everything that we're evaluating to be shiny, right? <laughs> like the, the reality is we're looking at products and services that if they're not shiny, we're probably not taking them seriously, right? Like we're, you know, if it's written on, on a programming stack that's 10, 15 years old, you know, we're constantly considering, you know, what's new, what's, what's coming, you know, who's being acquired, what vendor am I looking at next if you're not evolving with the times? Well, Josh, I appreciate it as always. Uh, it has been great to catch up and this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Join us next week.